first Chateau Neuf de Pape? It'll be wasted on Tom. Here, this one. It's your fancy drop, seeing as you've opened it. A small one. Cheers. Cheers. Hello, I'm Amy. And I'm Gay. And together we are the co-founders and joint artistic directors of Human Story Theatre. We focus on new plays with a health and social care issue at heart and aim to be accessible to all. In 2018, our play Dry was commissioned by the NHS and explores middle-aged, middle-class drinking and how many people don't see their alcohol intake as a problem until it is too late. I think really deep down I probably knew that I shouldn't be drinking every day. I kind of thought that once we were married, he'd be so happy that he wouldn't need to drink anymore. I know that you can come out the other side. For every alcoholic, they badly affect at least five other people around them. Nothing worth having is straightforward, and we wouldn't value it if it was just given to us on a plate. Welcome to Human Story Theatre, the podcast. Gay. Hello. <laughs> We're here to chat about our production Dry, a new play about middle class, middle aged drinking, which you wrote. So what's it all about then? It's about the Wilsons, who are, unsurprisingly, a middle class, middle aged couple, James and Ellen, and their teenage daughter, Chloe. And the toll that James's increased drinking causes the family, um, and that's seen through increasingly drunken dinner parties um, and the toll it takes on, on the whole of the family, really. Greetings, my friend. So glad you could drop by. Please lead me to that safe penal place that's mine, where pistoled farts we rant and wank in wine, yes. Where work is done, life is good, I am grape, <laughs> it fucking scams, of life. We rail, ask why, give in, drink, cake. And the cast, there's only three of them. Tell us a bit about the dinner parties. Um, <laughs> well, we ask a lot of our audiences always um, and in various ways. And for this piece, they have to imagine um, the other couples that are attending the dinner parties. But I think we've got a splendid cast with Paul Anstall and Bryony Pritchard who seem to be adept at um, entertaining themselves just between the two of them as if they have a, a whole host of, of dinner guests. So, um, yes, they are imagined. Preloading. Necessity. Remind me again why you've invited them. Because I really like Hannah. So I have to put up with that pretentious prick to facilitate your friendship? In a word, yes. The NHS commissioned the play originally, and you'll hear more about why they wanted to do so from Professor Marion Lynch in episode five. But why did we want to do it? Well, to be honest, I didn't want to do it at the beginning when we were approached <laughs> because we usually do plays about what we consider the, the vulnerable sector of society, don't we, Amy? Mm. And I didn't really feel that 
middle class people would have those same vulnerabilities. How wrong was I? Um, as soon as we started researching this, um, obviously, just because you've got wisteria around the door doesn't mean that behind those closed doors, there isn't a lot of pain. And and interviewing many, many people, you know, many in my own circle, I have to say, um, discovered that alcohol was having great detrimental effects behind such doors. So it became very obvious that it was a very important story to tell. Um, and obvious, just dipping into the stats at the beginning, um, you know, I think 24% of adults regularly drink more than the recommended guidelines. And in the play, we cite or oh, 60 conditions that drinking alcohol um, presupposes really. So it, it felt more and more as we're going through this process, you know, the importance of it really. Sarah, recovering alcoholic. I just thought that was how everyone drank. It got to the point in my mid-twenties when I realised that it wasn't just something that I did with friends to have fun, to blow off some steam. It was it was something I needed as an emotional crutch. And because I live by myself, you know, I'd come in and I'd think, oh, I'm going to treat myself. I'm going to cook a nice dinner and have a glass of wine. And I would drink the whole bottle of wine. And, you know, I thought, oh, gosh, I didn't really want to do that. But, you know, it's fine. I was having it was a nice bottle of wine. It was a nice meal, you know, and slowly, slowly things crept up. You know, I'd drink a bottle of wine and then go and see my boyfriend and say, oh, I just had a glass because I knew that he'd worry. I started drinking more on my own, find myself buying more alcohol, having been at the pub with friends and had a few drinks. I'd find myself buying more alcohol on the way home to drink by myself. It really started to get out of my control. And I found that I was more often than not drinking a lot more than I'd intended to. Something that we at Human Story Theatre really aim towards is to to write plays that are a piece of theatre in their own right, entertaining, um, as well as delivering powerful messages. Yes, yes. And, and I hope that all the plays have... Um you know, as well as the pathos, the, the humour. And, and it's lovely to sit alongside as we do in, in within the audience and and hear their laughter. As obviously, everyday life has lots of humour in it, doesn't it? You know, and, and dinner parties obviously are a ripe source for lots of humour. So that was a very convenient vehicle to show, you know, a lot of humour and, and the, the, the dynamics of the family, but also the, the demise sort of over the, the, the dinner parties of, of James's drinking. Um, because as, as Maz will say, um, the effects of, of alcohol um, on people's health are going to be the, the single largest drain on NHS resources. I and mean, obviously we've got COVID-19 now, which is, is beaten that, but I mean, it, you know, it, it will be second on that list, unfortunately. Exactly. So how does, you talk about the family, how does Dry explore the effects of alcoholism within the family unit? Obviously, we see Ellen at the dinner parties and her increasing embarrassment at, at James's behaviour. We see Chloe very embarrassed about the the results of those dinner parties, the, 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 the recycling bin contents being a, a little bit too much for her liking. Um, 
and and witnessing her, her father, you know, in a state hungover, etc. Um, and then increasingly, you know, as unfortunately people with dependence on alcohol do that, that, you know, their focus is, is just the drink. They forget everyone else around them. And so increasingly Ellen and Chloe become more and more isolated and affected, um, you know, by this new presence in, in their family. Chloe is played by Rachel Watson, who is a cellist. And you wrote the part as a cellist and she doesn't have many lines, does she? In fact, what, two, three? No. Yeah, I mean, I very much wanted her to be the silent onlooker, really, because unfortunately, as we will hear, you know, from children of alcoholics, it, you know, they are the very silent bystander, you know, witnessing all, you know, this this chaos around them. Joe Huey, daughter of an alcoholic. You know, it's very hard to build a relationship with someone that's not there. Obviously, he was at work, we were at school, we come home, he wouldn't be home till later. And then obviously, he would go into the bedroom or he'd sit in the car and we wouldn't really see him. It kind of created this sort of void, I guess, and this gap between us. And there was this just total lack of relationship. It's very difficult, very different processing something as a child or if you're processing it as an adult. For me, you know, when you sort of see somebody there, you want to engage with them. And then if they're not engaging with you or they're becoming abusive or aggressive or whatever, you just think, I wish you weren't here. But then deep down as a child, they're still the only dad you've got and you still want that relationship. And there's this conflict, internal conflict that you feel because it's like, you do want them but you don't want them in your life sort of thing because you don't want the chaos they're causing and the uncomfortable feelings and the you know the awkwardness and the embarrassment that you feel and all that uncertainty you don't want all of that but you do want the dad that you think he could be. My original thought was that every sip of drink would be Chloe playing, um, plucking the cello, but um, that became a little bit too much because there were lots of sips in the play. Um, so there was some beautiful music composed, wasn't there, by Arne Richards, um, particularly for the piece. And the cello very much demonstrates, um, well, it, it's the emotional barometer of the piece, really. And through Chloe's playing, we we, we feel um, that that temperature very definitely of, of the household. And unfortunately, the anger that Chloe feels is turned inwards and she does self-harm. And it's only at that point when she talks about her cello playing and then we see her self-harm that they are the first words that we hear her speak. And it's really interesting that a lot of people, we'll talk about our Q&As in a minute, but a lot of audience members, really, they comment upon the daughter of the alcoholic. They comment upon Chloe and the impact that the character of Chloe, although she she doesn't say anything, has on them. So I think it's a very interesting way of representing a character in the play just through music. Audience member at Oldham Library Theatre. I thought the acting was superb, deeply uncomfortable if you have any 
sort of, I don't know, thoughts about alcohol in your family and things like that. And really, your own story was portrayed on stage tonight. So, yeah, deeply uncomfortable, but very enjoyable. <laughs> with all our productions we always partner with organizations pertaining to the issue in the play and experts from these organizations form our post-show Q&A panels to offer advice and support to our audiences and these Q&As are a significant part of a human story theatre production aren't they they're as important if not more so than the show itself because it's the audience's chance to be signposted to services local to them. But not just that, it's also an opportunity for the audience to share their thoughts and feelings on what they've just watched play out in front of them. People got a lot of in information instantly, I think, which they wouldn't, ne you know, when you leave a play and then, you know, time passes, you don't necessarily always follow things up. So I think it was good that there was that opportunity to find out straight away what's happening locally that might be able to help people. Oliver Sampson from Turning Point, who we'll be hearing from in episode four, played a large part in the original production and then indeed Turning Point did nationally for our longer tour earlier this year. Gay, tell me, how did you first come across Oliver Sampson from Turning Point? Well, we approached Turning Point um, for somebody that may give us an in, really, um, as our local recovery service. Um, it, it seemed they were definitely the, the first port of call. And Oliver thankfully landed in our laps and, and lives locally to me. So we were able to meet and he was part of our focus group at the very beginning with representatives from Aldenon as well. So we were so blessed because he's been very much a life force through this project and has very honestly shared his own um, sort of experiences of working alongside alcoholics and also the impact of the play, which was very precious to us because um, they had a spike in their referrals from every single show, didn't they, Amy, that um, appeared near a turning point hub and as a result of this as a direct result of this which we're very proud of they've actually opened up a special service that's, that's after hours as it were so after office hours so that the middle class middle-aged drinkers that we were targeting can actually go and seek help and you know that may be just a one-off as we'll hear from from oliver or it may be a full course of of recovery treatment Turning point, uh, what you would call a person-centered approach to the treatment. So we never look at previous history. We wait till the person walks in, we see what they need, and we try and fit our treatment model to that need rather than the other way around. As well as Turning Point, we also partnered with a couple of other organisations. You mentioned one already, Gay, Al-Anon, and we'll be chatting to Nikki from Al-Anon in episode four. But we also have a long-standing relationship with the Oxford Samaritans, don't we? Yes, definitely. We've been so fortunate. Um, from our very first play about dementia, they attended, and then we recruited Samaritans for them for our play about loneliness. And ever since then, at every single play, because, of course, the issues that they deal with every day on their phone lines and email and walk-ins are the issues that we try and explore in our plays, 
Um, you know, we have a symbiotic relationship now. I can't think that we can do without them. You know, uh, we can't do without them. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, we, we are helping them to do some of their work as well by exploring these issues. Yeah. And as well as this, um, Sam's Narcoa, we, we partnered with them as well. And in episode three, we'll hear from Joe Huey, who's a daughter of an alcoholic, who's also a champion for Narcoa. So we had representatives from all these organisations on our post-show Q&A panel to help signpost the audience to local services and also answer their any questions that they had. Director Emma Webb. Because it feels to me that that's the key part of it, really. The drinking is almost the, the outside monster that enters, but it enters uh, a what in the first scene has to appear to be a really functional, lovely, normal relationship with all its ups and downs, but one that can sustain that. And uh, it's only by establishing that at the beginning that we can then see the effect of uh, James's drinking on the family home. So yes, we did a lot of work on relationships. I'd like to come back to talking a bit about how the audience can react during our Q&As, Gay. Um, I don't know about you, but I've often found myself feeling very humbled as audience members share their own stories and sometimes out loud for the very first time. Yes. I mean, I think particularly for me, the stories that always got me most were the ones from children of alcoholics, actually, um, and how brave they were to, to sit and, and, and witness their own lives portrayed on stage like that, as many mm. have said that that's how it felt. Um, and I think also what's particularly touched me is, is how people really care about James and Ellen Wilson and Chloe. They really, you know, feel that they're their kith and kin. Um, and I think that sets up, um, the audience, you know, as in our inimitable style that the shared light, shared space, intimate feel of the Wilsons, um, at their kitchen table, the audience feeling that they're sat around that table with them so that they're primed then when the Q and A happens immediately after the show that they are ready to speak because they've been involved already. Um, it's not like suddenly the lights going up on them and the Q&A being on a high stage away from them. They, they've been part of this experience. So um, it prompts their own sharing of the human story theatre and that human story is there, doesn't it, Amy? You've taken the words right out of my mouth because I was going to say exactly the same thing because of the shared light, shared space environment that we create for our productions. Uh, the house lights are up on the audience as well as the actors throughout the play and everyone sees everyone throughout the performance the audience are watching the audience and feeling like a collective community part of what's being played out on stage and like you said they feel like they're in the kitchen yeah. and and the people on the front row because we like the audience to be on three sides don't we where we can and on the floor not on a prosart proscenium arch stage um people in the front row could could just reach out and you know grab a glass of wine from james or ellen at one of those dinner parties and and join in and and I think you'll, you'll, you know, hit the nail on the head. I think that because of all of that, it evokes an atmosphere that's conducive for people engaging fully in a Q&A and in a way differently from, like you say, if the lights just suddenly snap up and the audience are down below and the Q&A panel are up on the stage. And I think particularly because at the very end of the play, this is a spoiler now and we're hoping that people 
you know, if they haven't seen it already, they will do. But um, at the very end of the play, James leaves the living space and, and enters the audience and sits mm. amongst the audience as if it was an AA group. And he sits there for a few minutes and then stands up and says, my name is James and I'm an alcoholic. And that is the, the final line of the play. And so the audience have been at that AA meeting with James. And then many have been prompted, haven't they, Amy, yeah, to, I mean, to then was... say, my name's so-and-so and I'm an alcoholic too and or just reach out to them in some you know to James in some tender way and then unburden themselves which has been you know as you say very humbling indeed yes a spine tingling moment that first time that happened when someone else in the audience stood up after James and said my name is and I'm an alcoholic I mean goodness yeah it was chills wasn't it yeah director Anna Tolpert the sort of people who were coming to see the shows are probably not necessarily people who would want to go and see something in a theatre, or at least they're coming with a slightly different mindset to the mindset that they bring to the theatre. So it feels much more personal, much more intimate, and much more just for them. And, and, and you know, the, the Q&As that happen afterwards have a sort of very special quality, both by not being in the theatre and also by having followed a piece of live theatre. Um, they have this sort of sense of everybody in it together, everybody confiding in each other. It, it's got a, a real intimacy to it that can be really potent. I mean, you come out of those evenings feeling like you've you've been put through the mill emotionally and it's not just because of the show, although that's helped it, but also because of what comes afterwards. Um, and people are very generous in, in what they share. Actors Paul Anstell and Bryony Pritchard. They both picked up on the writing and the fact that they both completely related to words, phrases, things, sentences that were coming out of my character's mouth. So that was great to hear. And sometimes people don't feel comfortable necessarily to speak up in the Q&A, but they'll come and talk to us afterwards. And I remember when we were in Leicester last week, a couple of chaps came up who said, that was my life, I was that. Do you think the play was a success? <laughs> I think we're we're both very delighted with the the critical reviews, um, aren't we? Definitely, um, but importantly, very very pleased with with the the known referrals. As I say, that the, the spike um, in referrals to Turning Point, but also we've um, collected a lot of sort of anecdotal evidence where people have said, "Oh, my friend's sister, my colleague, my this, that, and the other." has now sought help. Um, either, and, you know, I'm loving the ripples of this, either from seeing the play or from people that have told them about the play and and, and it's prompted those conversations about somebody's drinking. Um, so I think that's been the most marvellous thing for us, that we've actually been able to help like that in some way. Director Anna Tolpert. Unlike so many other shows you do, the, the results of it are so completely tangible. You know, you, 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 you'll get reviews or you'll get audience to go out, go out and talking about it, but, but you don't actually get people signing up to, um, organizations after, after normal in inverted commas plays. Whereas, um, in this one, we had a, a sort of very tangible, um, result of, of, of an uptake in people phoning the local turning point organization to refer themselves at the point where, where they could still reverse the problem. So, so um, it sort of made people aware of perhaps beginning to have a problem um, and, and therefore seeking help, which we were very proud of. 
And that's one of the main things that we want to do. We don't want our, our, our productions to be preachy in any way. We, we just want them to start those difficult conversations, be a trigger for those difficult conversations to, to happen within friendship groups, community groups, families. And yeah, like, like you said, those ripples that we've heard, that has been happening. And the, you already mentioned the group setting up in Chipping Norton because of a direct result of the play, that community engagement. So, I mean, that's a success, isn't it, I guess? Um, yeah, um, and one in Oxford, yeah. Yes. And also, I, I see the, the original production as a success because it was mostly a local Oxfordshire tour that veering slightly across the border into Buckinghamshire and Gloucestershire. But off the back of that, Turning Point offered to fund a second 28-day national tour, which culminated in a performance at the House of Lords, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where, where we're told a lot of drinking happens, a lot of Chateau Neuf de Pap is opened there. Yeah, and that was really interesting, wasn't it, when we tried to get the set, you know, very yeah, lot of difficulty you know, for your producing of that, Amy, wasn't there? And they asked um, about the bottles, saying they'd have to go through. And that's one of the lines that came back to us, because that's a big line in the play, this running joke about Chateau Neuf de Pap. Um, that they said that there would, they thought there would be plenty of empty bottles of Chateau Neuf de Pap um, <laughs> that we could use as props on stage. So, um, yes. but all was well that ended well, and we got everything through their security, didn't we, Amy? And um, we did. It was a great way to end that national tour. Yes. In the next episode, we'll be hearing from Paula, a recovering alcoholic. I think really deep down, I probably knew that, you know, I shouldn't be drinking every day. And uh, I think when I crossed that invisible line of dependency, rather than just having a drink, I suppose I realised then. But I was in denial for a long, long time. I had a lot of family and friends come and have a little chat, you know, out of concern. But, you know, it was their problem, not mine, as far as I was concerned. Subscribe to Human Story Theatre on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you don't miss it. Mm-hmm.